Um, so, yes, my name's Tiffany, and I'm from the ultra-cold quantum matter group here in Oxford. Um, so we've been hearing a lot about some really cold things and the amazing effect that you can see when you cool things down. So there's cold, and then there's ultra-cold. Um, so we are actually trying to get about a billion times colder than the temperature of outer space. So, I mean, the title of my talk is The Coldest Place in the Universe. You might reasonably expect that to be somewhere deep in outer space, but I'm going to try and convince you that we can actually create the coldest place in the universe in the middle of a lab. So, the first important question is, how cold is cold? Um, so, I've got a temperature scale here, um, and we start already quite cold right at the top at um, zero degrees C. Um, so that's 273 Kelvin. So yeah, my temperature scale is in Kelvin. Bear that in mind. Um, and we can cool down and further and further, and you get towards liquid nitrogen. Um, and yeah, you've seen some nice demonstrations of that. But then you can cool even further, and you're starting to approach the temperature limit set by nature itself. Um, by so that's the temperature deep in outer space that is caused by the remnants of the Big Bang. Um, however, this temperature scale isn't big enough for me to see where we want to go. So we've expanded that a little. So we've got outer space here at about 2.8 Kelvin. And then at about 1.2 Kelvin is roughly the limit that you can get to by various cryogenic techniques. Um, however, I would actually have to expand this about a billion times more if we wanted to be able to identify the temperatures that we want to reach. So I actually want to get to nano-Kelvin temperatures, so incredibly close to absolute zero. Um, and at these temperatures, we study Bose-Einstein condensates. So that's a really fascinating um, state that emerges at these temperatures, and I'll talk a little bit about that later on. Um, I'll mention now, I kind of will interchangeably talk about speeds and temperatures, um, because we're really interested in energies that manifest both as the temperature of an object and its speed when you're looking at the individual particle scale. So if I do start using them interchangeably, that's what I mean. So how on earth are we going to slow or cool particles down until we get to these really low temperatures. And the first stage in this cooling process is actually using lasers, which, again, does seem kind of counterintuitive. But we can see this by a really nice analogy to things that, you'd, well, actually hopefully not experience in everyday life, but it's quite simple to understand. So I've got a boulder here, and it's um, rolling down a hill, and I kind of want to stop it before it reaches me. So to do that, I'm going to start throwing projectiles at it and use the fact that they will impart momentum in the opposite direction to the boulder's motion and slow it down. And when we're talking about individual atoms, um, that is the same as cooling it. Um, however, I do want quite a powerful jet of projectiles, so I'll use a laser beam to um, achieve that. And yeah, I've stopped it before it reached me. Um, but actually, I'm going to need your help for the next bit. So you should all have two pieces of paper, 
one white and one red. Um, if you could get out your white ones first, and we're going to look at what might happen if you tried to use a white light source to stop your atom. So I want, well, you'll all be an atom that is in an, in an excited state. And you'll want to decay back down to your ground state by releasing energy. And that's in the form of a photon, um, so a particle of light. And um, in a white light, so a thermal source, you'll have a range of wavelengths, so a range of colors of light. And um, the emission process is also quite probabilistic. So it's quite random, really, when the light will be emitted. So to make your photon, if you scrunch up your piece of paper, and to go into your excited state, if you hold it high above your head. And at some point, just determined by probability, you'll want to release that photon. So whenever you feel like it, just throw it in any direction. So there you go. That's, that's kind of what would happen if you tried to shine a light bulb on um, a cloud of atoms that you're trying to stop. And I hope you'll agree with me, it probably wouldn't stop the, stop the atom very effectively because the projectiles are going in all directions. There's not a concentrated beam heading at the atom. Also, you've got a range of colors in there. And um, this is kind of a very special kind of boulder in a sense in that it will only see certain colors of projectile. Um, so that, you know, and if you're trying to cool an atom, it will only um, absorb certain colors of light. However, if we are now atoms in a laser beam using the red piece of paper, which, could you make a photon of that again? Um, so this is the correct color to be absorbed by our, by our atom. So again, if you go into your excited state and hold it high above your head, this time we're going to take, take into account some, a, a very critical feature of laser beams, and that is that photons are emitted by a process that we call stimulated emission. So this means that to release your photon, you need some kind of kick in order to do that. So I want you to throw your photon only if you see another photon flying over your head or immediately either side of you. Um, so that is the kick that's stimulating it. And when you do so, please throw them forwards, so in the same direction as the one that you see. So if we could have someone at the back starting us off, whenever you like, and... <laughs> so yes, hopefully that has been enough to stop our boulder. And um, yes, <laughs> so we've got a much higher, a high power stream of particles all going in the same direction, all the correct wavelength to be absorbed by the particle that we're trying to stop. So that's how we've slowed it down a very long way, so cooled it down a long way, but there are limits to this, this technique. Oh, I've got some nice pictures of how we actually do this in the lab. We don't have boulders and pieces of paper. Um, I'm going to say the relevance of the pieces of paper actually was that if you're looking at kind of comparisons of momentum between an atom that you're trying to stop and the photon that you're trying to stop it with, that is actually about the same as trying to stop a massive boulder by throwing bits of paper at it. So you need a lot of, a lot of photons. And this is where we do it. Then the next stage in the cooling process is by evaporation. 
And this is something that we all know about from everyday life. So you've got your cup of tea or coffee, and it cools down because, well, um, largely by evaporation. So the hotter particles will escape um, from the trap, which in your case would, might be your teacup, and the remaining particles are much colder. So we use this exact same process to cool atoms down, except um, we actually help, help it along its way by lowering the walls of our trapping potential. So we can cool it down further and further, and eventually it will reach quite a magical state that will never happen in your cup of tea, and that is that it forms a giant quantum state, um, which is called a Bose-Einstein condensate. So and this is... Where we, where we do it in the lab. So um, our kind of teacup, as it were, is a magnetic trap formed by those coils there. And we have a vacuum system in which we perform this experiment. So the state that we form is um, kind of, you can think of it as a lot of, well, an awful lot of atoms. So millions of atoms kind of acting as one. So if you're at slightly higher temperatures, and we can represent particles here either as particles um, or kind of by their wave, wave functions, so little waves. So we cool them down, and they get closer and closer. And the wave functions representing the particles start to overlap. And then once we've reached the Bose-Einstein condensate, it's represented by one single wave for the entire state. And that corresponds to... Um, all of the atoms suddenly occupying the lowest energy level in the system. And some quite interesting, that, well, there are lots of very interesting features um, of the Bose-Einstein condensate, one of which is that it's a coherent state. So all the atoms are kind of acting together as one. And I've got a demonstration of kind of the difference between a thermal state, so the effect of heating or the effect of any temperature on the system, and a pure Bose-Einstein condensate. So here we have a thermal state. Um, and we're representing this by Highland dancing. Um, just in case anyone missed that from my little blurb. But so on the left, we've got a reference dancer. So she is going to be dancing two steps of the Highland fling. Um, she's going to be dancing it perfectly. And then I told a group of dancers on the right, to start dancing at any point within the sequence, to carry on for as long as they liked, and then to stop and start again at any random point. And so that could be the effect of heating on individual atoms' wave functions. So we'll see the effect of this. So, yes, there is a slight delay between the two videos in terms of timing. I don't quite know how that happened. Um, so one of the main features of this is everyone's still dancing in time, actually. So we're all the same wavelength. We're all the same color, kind of, yeah, color as it were. Um, but it doesn't look very pretty. It's just a load of people doing their own thing. Um, so that would be a load of atoms in a thermal state. However, um, can then go on to a coherent state, so without the thermal effects. And at this time, um, there are dancers still doing different things, but here I said 
you know, we can start at any point within the dance that we like, but we have to continue it cyclically. So, you know, you maintain either everyone's dancing in step with each other or you're maintaining what you call a constant phase difference. So the kind of oscillation of the waveform would maintain a constant difference between the different atoms. And in this way, we can say that it's coherent and makes quite a nice pretty dance, even though everyone's not doing the same thing. So once we have this giant quantum state, um, we can perform incredibly precise measurements of quantum mechanics. So quantum states that we'd never be able to access on the tiny scale that we can because we've got such a large group of atoms acting as one. And that is why we want to create the coldest place in the universe in our labs. So thank you to my group and my dancers. <laughs>